Dave Spiegelmeyer is president of the Marcellus Shale Coalition, an organization he helped establish in 2008. We recently sat down to talk about the natural gas industry in Pennsylvania and what it means to consumers, businesses, and taxpayers. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and my guest today is Dave Spiegelmeyer. He is the president of the Marcellus Shale Coalition. Uh, Dave, uh, welcome to Harrisburg. It's uh, uh, the crazy time, uh, crazy season of budget, so I know you're down uh, in Harrisburg watching things, but you hail from out west in the, the Pittsburgh area, so thanks for coming in and, and uh, joining me on the program. Thanks very much for having us, Matt. I mean, Pennsylvania is a, is a wash in natural gas, and it's a great time to be in Harrisburg to talk about the many benefits that the industry is creating for the Commonwealth. Well, and, and I absolutely want to get into that because right here we don't have any uh, fracking or drilling, or uh, yet there are uh, tangible benefits that we see in business uh, in this area, in the central part of the state. But we'll get into that. Uh, but I first want to get into uh, where'd you grow up uh, and uh, how'd you get involved in, in the gas industry and politics because it's become, they're married together for you now. Yeah, right? they sure are, Matt. I grew up in Du Bois, about 140 miles north, a little bit west of uh, Harrisburg. Uh, yeah, I've been in the gas industry now. This is my 37th year. I think it's fair to say that uh, none of us that are active in the gas industry, and I've spent my nearly my entire career uh, here in the Commonwealth in the gas industry, so thought this was possible. Mm. I mean, we really knew we had good gas supply here. We always historically provided about a quarter of Pennsylvania's supply of natural gas. Today, we're bordering on supplying a quarter of America's natural gas. And when people think about natural gas, they think about heating your home, cooking your food, drying your clothes, heating your hot water. But they don't realize that nearly every single product that we touch today, steel, glass, plastics, chemicals, fertilizers, powdered metals, pharmaceutical medications, and today one in three of our electrons, all manufactured through the use of natural gas. So nearly every single product that we touch today, natural gas touches you in so many ways, including the discussion we have today about moving more towards renewables. You don't build a... Um, a wind turbine or a, or a photovoltaic cell without natural gas. I mean, it's part of the manufacturing process to manufacture those items. And natural gas is a baseload fuel. It's not an interruptible fuel like wind and solar, where the wind doesn't blow all the time and the sun doesn't shine. We're a great partner for renewables. I'm not here to beat up on renewables. I just think we're a great partner to make those technologies actually work. Well, and, and and as it relates to natural gas, of course, um, it, it's been around a long, long time, but it's only been in the last decade or so that we've really had the incredible access uh, that we've gained through technological advances. Uh, is that is that accurate? Yeah, with, that's I mean, right on the money. And a lot of folks think it's hydraulic fracturing or fracking. It's not. I would share with you that we've been hydraulically fracking or fracturing ga uh, gas wells since the 1940s in Pennsylvania. Those were what we call conventional wells or vertically drilled wells. Again, at our peak, we produced about 180 billion cubic feet of natural gas in 2008, which was supplied about a quarter of Pennsylvania's demand. Today, um, the new technology, the unconventional wells, the major change in technology is the ability to turn a drill bit horizontally to produce a far more amount of gas 
off a single well location than ever thought possible. So and, instead know, of going just straight down into the ground, you can do like spokes on a wheel that's and absolutely. go in every direction, 360 degrees. Uh, but before we continue, Dave, because I want to make sure that our, our, our listeners who may not be up to speed on all of the nomenclature, you use the word fracking. Correct. What, what exactly is fracking? And, and you did say that this pre-existed even the horizontal drilling. So yeah. uh, fr- what does fracking do, um, and uh, how does that get you your gas? Sure. Hydraulic fracturing is a, is a term or a technology that's been used in Pennsylvania since the 1940s that props open or holds open microscopic pour, uh, pores in rock. We're not drilling for natural gas in open caverns. Some people think we drill into an open cavern and release gas to the surface. We're actually drilling into a solid rock. Think of a rock much like a sponge. And what hydraulic fracturing does, it creates micro fissures or cracks in the rock through pressure, water pressure. But in that water, we also carry sand. And sand goes into the fractures of that rock the water, some of that water comes back, some of that water is absorbed into the rock, but the sand that stays into that rock, it opens up the pore spaces in that rock to allow natural gas to flow. It's called a propent. Just think of propping open something. That's what Mm. sand does. It props open the micro fissures in the rock to allow gas to escape into the wellbore under a controlled environment brought to the surface and captured for use. Uh, and, you know, think about the fact a dozen years ago, Pennsylvania, uh, we were a bit in an energy crisis. Folks thought we were running out of gas, and many folks in the state heat their homes with natural gas. More than half of our homes are mm. heated with natural gas. Natural mm. gas was a very high price delivered to the home in 2008 uh, at more than $20 an MCF for 1,000 cubic feet. Today, every utility in the state, and I look at all the utilities, uh, are delivering natural gas. The purchased natural gas costs today, they are in-state utilities, are 51 to 78% less than what they were a decade ago. I can't so think of too many So it was $20 in MCF, and now you're talking under 10, uh, it, even in under the commodity seven, right? itself, in many cases, yeah. under five, delivered uh-huh. for 10. You know, the delivery and that's costs. just because of the technological advances. It's allowed access to a lot more gas. Yeah, and we're home to now probably the strongest you know, natural gas player, one of the strongest natural gas plays in the world. It's been incredible. It's created uh, generational job opportunities. And, you know, one thing that folks in Pennsylvania don't realize is we've got a real interesting shale play in Pennsylvania. In the western part of the state, it's what they call an under-pressured area of the, the Earth's crust. It delivers heavier hydrocarbons like ethane, pentane, butane, isobutane, propane, natural gasolines that are used in different chemical feedstock processes. Many of you have heard about the Shell Petrochemical Facility being built in Beaver County. It's primarily an ethane facility, which will take ethane and steam ionized ethane into ethylene, secondarily steam ionized ethylene into polyethylene that forms what they call PE or a polyethylene pellet that can be used for uh, new plastic manufacturing in Pennsylvania, paints, coating, sealants, tires. So kind of getting back to the, the everything in your life gets touched by natural gas in Absolutely. Some, some way or another. The, the carpet we're, we're uh, sitting on here. The fibers too, yeah. in your clothes, the carpets, your shoes, uh, you know, the silverware on your, on your table, all used and manufacturing through the use of natural gas. And I would share with you that, you know, especially in the western part of the state, the rust belt of 
Pennsylvania and of, and of the Northeast, for the last four decades, we've written an obituary for manufacturing. I would tell you mm-hmm. today, as a result of the most affordable energy on the planet here in Pennsylvania, we're, re- we're rewriting uh, history and creating a birth announcement for new manufacturing through affordable natural gas and affordable energy. Now, uh, back to the issue of fracking, mm-hmm. uh, because we've been doing this for, you know, uh, 80 years or so. That's correct. Uh, why, why has it become controversial? Where what created the controversy where we've seen documentaries, we see these celebrities coming out and protesting, uh, uh, people want to shut down uh, natural gas in Pennsylvania. What, what what has caused it to be so controversial over the last 10 years? Is it just the amount of, of fracturing going on? Or what, what is that? It's a really good question, Matt. And I don't know if I have an exact answer. I will tell you that I think that part of our society felt that we were on a, on a paved road towards renewable energy use. Mm-hmm. I think folks, and they used the term that natural gas would be a good bridge fuel to get us there. With the supplies of natural gas that we've discovered now through unconventional technology, the technology that I spoke about drilling horizontally, opening up vast new supplies of natural gas that most of us never thought possible. And that's multi-generational. Mm. There's supplies of natural gas that will last us hundreds of years mm. as a result of that technology. So no I longer a bridge. Uh, it's, but something it's a bridge, yeah. but it's in many folks' eyes a bridge too far. Okay. So okay. Uh, that's, that's the concern that some may have, but I would share with you the fact that we're now burning natural gas and power generation, and you don't hear this story. We've reduced carbon dioxide emissions. We've reduced nitrogen oxide emissions. We've reduced sulfur dioxide dioxide emissions, volatile organic compound emissions, and we're going to meet the the parameters of the Paris Accord without being part of the Mm. Paris Accord Mm. because we're burning far more natural gas in our power generation systems than we ever thought possible. So I would tell you natural gas environmentally has been a winner. And a guy like me that grew up in central Pennsylvania, everyone thinks this industry is a Texas-based industry. I look around our board table, and 98% of the, of the operators that are producing natural gas in Pennsylvania are board members of the Marcellus Shale Coalition. We're Pennsylvanians. We like to hike and bike and hunt and mm-hmm. fish and camp and do all the things other Pennsylvanians like to do. We've fought for uh, more rigorous rules. We've paid for... Um, more inspections. Last year, about 800 wells drilled in Pennsylvania, 19,000 inspections. There's no industry in the Commonwealth that's under the kind of... 19,000 for 800 wells? That's correct. There are 800 wells drilled in Pennsylvania last year, <laughs> not, uh, not quite at 780 okay. wells drilled, and 19,000 plus inspections So the argument year. that uh, there isn't oversight, uh, you're not regulated enough, I mean, certainly... Uh, it's the executive branch. Governor uh, Tom Wolf, Democrat, uh, um, is in charge of that. Um, is it accurate to say that you guys are not held accountable for, you know, negative impacts you might have from on the environment or when you have accidents or things like I mean, are these companies getting away with, uh, um, you know, I guess, crimes against humanity? There's, there's, <laughs> there's no one getting away with environmental crimes in the state and there's no one that's cutting corners. I would tell you the coalition that I represent, we've fought for 
for more rigorous rules in the Commonwealth. We fought for more inspections, and we paid for them. A natural gas drilling permit was $100 in 2008. It's $5,000 today. There were 60 compliance and inspection staff on the oil and gas front in 2008. There's now 190. So we've paid for more inspectors. We've paid for more rigorous inspection. We've paid for more permit riders for folks to you know, have rigor over the process for which we develop natural gas in the Commonwealth. And we've continued to work with the department. And one of the reasons I'm in town is I have a chance to meet with, you know, with, with regulators again to talk about continuing to uh, modernize our regulatory framework for development. I think it's fair to say that Pennsylvania has, if not the strongest, some of the strongest rules in relation to natural gas development that exist anywhere in the country. And we're a model for other states to look at uh, when they develop rules for engagement for operators to develop the resources. Now, when Governor Wolf ran in 2014 and uh, every year since uh, winning election and re-election, he has called for a natural gas severance tax, uh, a tax that is applied uh, when you sever uh, the, the, the natural gas from the earth and, and you're paying an ongoing tax. Is that an accurate way of describing what he's looking for? Yeah, it is a, an accurate way to describe what he's after. What he has shared with residents of the Commonwealth that we're the only state that doesn't have a severance tax. Well, I would share with you that under the early days of Governor Corbett, uh, the industry came together with the governor who had taken a no-tax pledge and said, you know, pro- production is strong enough now the industry should be paying a tax. We called it an impact tax or an impact fee at the time. It's generated more revenue than all of the surrounding states that are producing natural gas. This year, $247 million. Over, since 2012, nearly $1.7 billion. In fact, I and find this it, is on top of uh, uh, income taxes, every other tax uh, businesses pay, correct? Uh, absolutely. There aren't any taxes you uh, your companies are not paying. That's absolutely correct. There are some companies that are structured under subchapter S, many uh, structured under C Corp. So uh, if you're a C Corp in Pennsylvania, you pay one of the highest corporate net income tax rates in the country. I think we're number two or number yeah, three num- in the size of our corporate net income tax. You know, when folks try to compare it with Texas, you know, it, there's not a comparison. Yeah, I mean, well, t- and let me go back to the impact fee, Dave, because I think that this is an important principle sure. that sure is, is being adhered to. And that is, um, and we've always said this, is that people should pay for the government they use. And so when a natural gas company has negative impacts on our roads or bridges, our highways, or uh, in the environment, they should pay for it. Uh, great, and I think it's a great point. And, so. and, and that impact fee actually was going to those things, right? It's, well, it's I would to, share uh, with you, yeah. Matt, not quite, because I would share with you that our industry prepares roads for our use mm-hmm. and we repair them when we're done. So this wasn't meant to fund the damage that our industry caused. That's separate and distinct. And there have been billions of dollars of investment by our industry. And that was even before the impact fee, the the amount of money done. And it's still that way. There Mm -hmm. there is a carve Mm -hmm. out for state roads, but I would share with you that township and county roads, our industry prepares those for our use and we repair them when we're done. Many folks know that live in the rural parts of Pennsylvania that some of these roads were dirt. We put an oil chip on them at one point may have put a skim coat of asphalt on at one point. They never had the kind of base on those roads that would be sufficient to handle heavy truck traffic. Our industry goes in before we work a well or try and prepare a pipeline and 
prepare those roads for our use. We build full depth reclamation to those roads, good base under them to be able to handle the weight that we put on those roads. And then if we damage those roads after we do use them, we come back and repair them. So I think it's fair to say, and you can ask folks in the the township areas where we're yeah. active, that we've been a benefit from a road standpoint to those communities. We've been a benefit from a jobs perspective. And when you talk about jobs, it's like, let's face it, jobs is the real engine that grows tax revenue. Um, I would share with you that this year, the $247 million generated in the, the impact fee that is in Pennsylvania has been game-changing for county and local governments. Mm. We lost our way on how we were funding county and local governments. And some say, well, it just goes to the counties and local governments where we're actively engaged, and that's not correct. Yeah. Monies go to all 67 counties. Monies go to local governments all across the Commonwealth. There are specific carve-outs um, uh, of that impact tax, like $6 million to DEP. I talked to you about making sure the, the DEP has adequate resources and permit fees, but also $6 million comes out of the annual collections of DEP. Our soil and water conservation districts receive funding. The, the Fish and Boat Commission receive funding. Some money goes to the Department of Transportation. So uh, I would share with you that there's, there's, there's solid funding coming from that impact tax. Um, and my concern is that the governor's proposal adds a tax on top of a tax. If you mm -hmm. take a look at the proposal in 2012, it was clear that if at some point down the road a governor or a legislature decides they're going to put a severance tax in place. It was in statute that the impact tax goes away. It was never meant to be one on top of the other, but that's what we're talking about. But Governor today. Wolf wants both. He wants uh -huh. both. He wants one on top of the other that would render many of the capital decisions in Pennsylvania uncompetitive with other shapeless. He makes the statement that, well, the gas is here. They have nowhere else to go. <laughs> There's nothing further from the truth, and it runs 180 degrees opposite from general business practices. Mm -hmm. Capital flows to the path of least resistance. There's states like, um, like North Dakota, like Texas, like Louisiana and Arkansas. There's places abroad in Canada where, where shale development and the new technologies that we're using in Pennsylvania to produce gas today are in those locations as well. And we're competing for capital yeah. daily with those locations. If we lose the competitive balance to park capital here, those jobs, those investments go somewhere else. It's been generational for Pennsylvania, and we've got great comparisons. Um, if you take a look at New York and New England, New York has had activist government, one that does not allow development of mm -hmm. shale, like Maryland and Delaware. What's the end result? They've not also, they're also, they've not allowed pipelines to be developed. While our utilities, and I talked about earlier, 53 to 78% less for our purchased natural gas costs, and 41% drop in wholesale electric prices as a result of cheaper natural gas. The New England states haven't enjoyed that. They haven't enjoyed it because they haven't allowed the infrastructure. They've been capacity constrained, and they pay far more mm. for their commodities than we do here. Our so they're paying gas more costs. in their, their heat, home heating, their home cooling, all of those things. How ridiculous yeah. is it that we yeah. park a French vessel in Boston Harbor loaded with Russian LNG to supply New England their energy? We have companies now that are starting to uh, grow in the northern part of Pennsylvania that will take natural gas, will freeze it, basically drop it to 262 degrees below zero and turn it to a liquid, put it on a truck, drive around New York to supplement New England. There are several companies that have taken wow. that mantra because they see the demand for energy in New England. You've had companies like Con Edison, the fact they've not been able to build infrastructure into New, Eng or into New York. 
make the statement that we can't take one new economic development tap into Westchester. That's the, you know, the county surrounding New York City. So you think about the fact of, you know, restaurants that need natural gas right. to, to, to not only heat their place, but to cook their food no longer can bring those new economic development type of projects into the city. That's a choice that the governor's made. Uh, And I I get the fact he's tried to make that decision in the name of the environment. I would tell you there's no more important thing is to preserve the environment, and our industry is very much focused on that today. Well, and I would suspect you see the uh, ripple effect that uh, manufacturing is probably not growing in states like New York, where in Pennsylvania we we are seeing uh, that growth, uh, certainly the result of um, federal tax uh, um, legislation that has allowed for reforms and uh, more capital to be invested. Um, but it does seem that uh, Governor Wolf is, is trying every tactic. Uh, he's promised money from natural gas to education. And his latest iteration is something called mortgage PA. I mean, restore PA. Uh, but uh, he would go into bonded debt of, I think, about $4.5 billion, spend it over the next uh, four years or three years, We'd be strapped with uh, 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 bonds for 30 years, and uh, he's projecting, hey, we can uh, invest in our infrastructure. Is this a re- different tactic of trying to get a, you know, another tax uh, on the gas industry, uh, selling with lawmakers, or are they not buying, hey, uh, here comes Santa Claus uh, doling out gifts all across uh, 67 counties? You, you've laid it out pretty well, Matt. I would just share with you that the governor's Restore PA plan Mortgage PA, I'm sorry. Yeah, is a, is a bit of a is a bit of a card taken right out of the impact fee. There are there is a fund administered by the Department of Community Economic Development that funds good infrastructure projects around the Commonwealth. That's significant money that's spent every year. I think as the governor's gone out and with the same time he says we don't pay a tax, for the last six year or five years of his governorship, he's gone out and handed that Marcellus money out through the Department of Community Economic Development mm-hmm. to fund roads and bridges and, you know, sewer and water projects, uh, rails to trails and green space. That, those projects have been funded through the Marcellus Legacy Fund. I think he took an idea that if we get a tax, we can do more and more of that. The thing that concerns me is a month ago he was up in Erie, um, talked with folks in Erie about expanding broadband infrastructure. So we're going to put this restore PA plan, pay for it, for the gap from the gas furnace and pay for Verizon and Comcast to extend hmm. broadband infrastructure. How silly is that? They then need we, a bailout too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then we then we come into Memorial Day and we have um, the Secretary of DCNR out with the governor talking about how we're going to fix our state parks. The thing that drives me up a wall is no <laughs> one talks about the fact that the last eight years the DCNR Bureau of Forestry has harvested about $80 million annually in royalty revenue. Where is that money going? That's Mm -hmm. new money Mm -hmm. found by that agency. How come that's not been— From natural gas drilling. From natural gas development on Mm -hmm. state lands. And we have the ability today, and I talked about horizontal development before. We can drill from private lands off of state land, but under state land, 8,000 feet under the Earth's crust with a a 5.5-inch wellbore that you never see and create vast new amounts of revenue that's been stopped under the wolf administration Mm. if he was really desperate for revenue why don't we take the path of least resistance and allow us to drill 
underneath our, our is, state land. Is that just a denial of the science that's involved here, or is it just the political of we don't want fracking going on under our state lands? I mean, it just sounds like it's probably soundbite policymaking yeah, rather than uh, based in fact. Yeah, that's a good question, and I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I just know that the governor made passage of a severance tax part of his his mantra when he ran his first for his first term and and yeah, I think he feels it's a campaign promise that he's going to try and check that box. I would share with you that I'm going to fight all day long because I think Pennsylvania today has at our fingertips an extraordinary opportunity to retool manufacturing in communities across Pennsylvania that we lost three, four decades ago and to bring workers back to Pennsylvania. We've got great great work ethic here. We'd like to keep our kids. I, I spoke that I grew up in Du Bois. I watched my almost my entire high school class leave town to hmm. find a job. Today we have, with affordable energy, the ability to keep our kids at home. Natural gas is, is the, the golden key for us to derive new manufacturing back in our communities. So I think in the eastern part of the state, the pharmaceutical industry, many of those pharma companies are up in New England. Why aren't they in eastern Pennsylvania? They should be in eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, the, we've talked about the petrochemical plant. We have the largest petrochemical plant with 137 cranes on site today, over 4,000 workers active in Beaver County. They have to use satellite parking and buses to bring their workers onto that site. Our building trades, partners with our industry, are at full complement to try and build the facilities, the pipelines, the, the facilities to, to manage liquids, now this petrochemical facility in Beaver County and pipelines all across Pennsylvania are being developed by our building trades. It's a wonderful partnership. Uh, we're going to continue to work to, to make sure that gets done in an environmental responsible fashion and done with Pennsylvania labor. So as we uh, look forward to a 2020 a presidential election, uh, we know Pennsylvania is going to uh, be the keystone state. I mean, the path to the White House comes through Pennsylvania. How do you see natural gas being part of that uh, policy discussion amongst presidential candidates? I don't know where I haven't been paying that close attention to where all of the Democratic candidates are falling on these types of things. But I would certainly think that would resonate here in Pennsylvania, where folks from Joe Biden down to, uh, um, you know, Mayor Pete, you, you name them, where are they on, on the issue of natural gas? So let me share this with you. That today on the way to Harrisburg, I heard that we're sending 1,000 troops into the Persian Gulf again to protect the free flow supply of energy, oil, uh, to countries across the globe. Um, in 2008, this country was 62% dependent on foreign sources of oil and foreign sources of energy. Today, we're on track in 2020 to be, a, to be an independent nation from energy. So the technology being wow. used to produce natural gas is technology that's also being used to, pr to produce oil. The, uh, the Permian Basin in the western part of Texas and in New Mexico is a very rich oil play. Uh, it's an extraordinary find that has changed the game for America to be a global powerhouse in oil development. We've seen it at the pump, not maybe not to the level some would like to see it, but our gasoline prices today are about a buck or more less than they were 10 years ago. Yeah, really, yeah. it's amazing when you look at it over time what inflation has done to everything else. 
yet we're still paying two, three dollars uh, for gasoline. I mean, at one yeah. point back around 2007, eight, we were probably paying close to four dollars a gallon. Yeah. Now yeah. we're around three, mm-hmm. you know, a little more than three in some cases. But I would share with you that natural gas has been and can be the feedstock for our future to drive new manufacturing, job growth, economic opportunities for our commonwealth beyond our our imagination. We didn't think it was possible. You know, I'm going to come back to an issue that you'd ask me to explain a little better. And, and I would just share with you, if folks talk about the truck that drives down the street or a derrick that's up in the air, all is fracking. Fracking is a a five to eight day completion process mm. in the 50 year life mm. of a well. It can be done environmental responsibly. Some will say, well, they don't disclose the chemicals. Our industry in 2010 uh, and 2011 said it needs to all be disclosed. We have a program called Frac Focus where every chemical used in the, and the chemicals being used are primarily uh, used to clean pipe and used to suspend sand and water. I mean, if you drop sand in a, in a glass of water, it would all go to the bottom. So we use a gelling agent that basically suspends sand in the water. It's 99.6% water, about four-tenths of a percent chemicals that go into that, that mix. But they're basically chemicals you find under your sink every day. Uh, and we make sure today that all the water that comes back from the surface is being recycled and treated properly. So... Again, our industry is far different than it was 10 years ago. Initially, it would take us 60 days to drill a well. Wells are being drilled today with, and early on, drilled with a 2,000-foot lateral. Today, they're being drilled with 10,000-foot laterals on average and drilled in less than 20 days. Well, and and you raise a good point because I can remember going on a site where drilling was happening uh, with uh, some legislators from the southeast where they have no drilling. Um, and as they walked up and saw the massive rig and, and were told, this is temporary. Uh, this isn't going to be here for fifth, you know, this is for, these are weeks at a time, right? Uh, and then it goes away and then it becomes pristine ground or there's really a, almost a postage stamp, if you will, in the scheme of things um, uh, that, is, that remains. And this legislator from the Southeast said, you know what, whenever people think of natural gas, they view these big rigs up and that these are permanent eyesores and they are, you know, trashing the environment. So that um, Derek is nothing than, more than a hydraulic crane. Think of the fact that you've got a mile and a half of pipe stacked on top of one another and the weight of that. You would actually crush the drill bit into the hole. So that Derek is a hydraulic crane that holds the pipe back so it doesn't crush the drill bit into the mm. hole. When the well's drilled, that derrick comes down. I would challenge folks in Pennsylvania to drive through the primary counties of development from shale back in 2009, 10, 11, and see how many wells you can find. Yeah. You, you hard, won't find they're them, hard yeah. to find. They're hard to find because it's pretty, it's a, it blends into the landscape very, very well. There are some areas where there's some tanks that catches yeah, any fluids that come back from the well, and those wells are then tended, and the fluids taken for treatment and recycled. It's primarily brine water that comes back. Most of our operators today use brine water in the next hydraulic fracturing job, so it lessens the need for fresh water, and it's a recycling program that our industry has adopted as a result of shale development in Pennsylvania. It's been a winner. 
for Pennsylvania. It's going to continue to be a winner if we continue to embrace the technology and advancements that have been taking place right here in our Commonwealth. Yeah, I think if more people actually saw it in action, they would uh, they would have a, a better understanding of what's really going on. And I think that's been to the natural gas's detriment is that um, this has been in areas that aren't highly populated and the strongest voices for a, a severance tax or even ending the industry come from places that people have no clue. Yeah, uh, actually, Matt, I would tell you that folks where we're drilling for natural gas, if you do polling, and we've done extensive polling, they're very supportive of what we do. Their neighbors are working in mm -hmm. our industry. They understand what it's all about. They know it can be done environmentally responsibly. The one thing that we've not done a great job is getting infrastructure into underserved areas or underserved communities, including Philadelphia. Historically, natural gas has come into the highly populated areas of our country, Washington, D.C., and into Baltimore, into southern New York, and up into New England, those natural gas supplies primarily came out of the Gulf Coast. We now have a world-class gas supply, far less expensive. Think of, of an, a pipeline system much like a toll road or a turnpike. For every so many miles you go, you get hit with a little bit more of a charge. And We've got a world-class gas supply in the Marcellus, 120 miles out of Philadelphia, 130 miles out of Philadelphia, where most of their natural gas supply today is still coming out of the Gulf Coast states and, and a higher cost because of the transportation component to get it 1,100 miles to that burner tip instead of 130 miles. So we're working to modernize infrastructure to get gas from northern Pennsylvania into Philadelphia, to get liquids from the southwest into Philadelphia, into the port of Philadelphia, uh, and to continue to try and serve underserved communities, another number of people, a number of pieces of legislation that would uh, try and bring new infrastructure into communities that don't have natural gas, since we have this wonderful uh, new supply of natural gas here in our Commonwealth. Well, I want to touch on one last uh, item before I let you go. That is, uh, you talk about g uh, the distribution of natural gas, and I know that uh, that's a real challenge is how we get it from the ground to the market. Uh, and uh, the issue of pipelines has become quite controversial sure in has. some parts of the state. What, it, what has caused that, uh, and are these legitimate uh, concerns and complaints that are being filed against uh, the pipeline industry, those who are trying to get the gas from the well to the marketplace. For a landowner that has a pipeline coming across the pro their property, absolutely any complaint is, is justified and worthy. I don't necessarily think that activists from New York have <laughs> skin in the game to come down and attend the public meetings that are conducted in communities, but certainly landowners that are impacted by pipelines crossing their property have every right to to say their piece and to make sure they have answers to their questions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't want to uh, dismantle uh, any of that. But I would share with you that pipelines are a vital piece of infrastructure. I shared with you what happens if we don't have pipelines a few moments ago when I talked about liquefying natural gas and putting it on trucks. Yeah. The safest mode of transportation for energy today is pipelines underground. Uh, have there been some accidents? Certainly. Have there been incidents in building pipelines where um, uh, mistakes have been made? Absolutely, there have been. So I would share with you one of the things our coalition has done is to take areas where our industry's not performed well and conduct training. Conduct training with the Department of Environmental Protection, uh, conduct training with, uh, with various agencies to make sure we up our game and uh, how we build and construct pipelines. I would share with you that they can be done properly, uh, effectively. I get the fact that some people may not want pipelines in their backyard, but every, you know, 
everyone, whether it be electricity or natural gas or water and sewer, someone has to bear the cost of having a pipeline in their in their yard if we're going to live in a modern society today. Someone and, has and a to lot have, of them are already in place, correct? I mean, so you're talking about pipelines that are just running next to other pipelines many already. Many cases, we try and find corridors that are already in existence to be able to operate many of those facilities. I know the one pipeline system that's been under hot scrutiny has been the Mariner system that's crossed Pennsylvania to get into the Port of Philadelphia. That has followed, for the most part, the, the Pennsylvania Turnpike and existing pipeline right-of-ways to mm. get liquids, primarily ethane, now butane, and propane. You know, we heat our homes in many places of the country with propane. Butane's an accelerant used in manufacturing, aerosols, and things like that. Uh, the focus is to try and be able to get some of those liquid hydrocarbons for different manufacturing processes into the Port of Philadelphia where it can be used pro properly. Well, we've been drinking from a fire hose here with lots of data, lots of uh, science uh, terms, I guess, or chemical terms. Uh, but it's all the things that uh, we take for granted around us uh, every day. And I think that that's an important reminder for everyone uh, that these are some of the things that uh, we benefit from, but we don't necessarily know exactly how it happens, yet uh, they're under attack. And so I'm thankful for the work you do, Dave, Thank you, uh, with Marcellus Shale and defending it. Because energy I know equal, yeah. energy equals independence. It gives us the independence to live our lives every day as freely as we do. You take it away. I think if, oh, yeah. I, I, if there's one thing I had to do over again in my career, I would have encouraged us to spend some money to try and paint the picture for our American society, what life looks like without energy. Start thinking about the fact, subtract your lawnmower, subtract your furnace, subtract your, your fireplace and your stove and your clothes and all the things that, you know, the energy that we use for your electricity. I mean, we're so addicted to our phones today. None of that yeah. works without electricity, <laughs> none of it. Well, and, and uh, when we go, have to go a day because of storms uh, without uh, energy in our homes, uh, we quickly realize uh, that we, we take indeed. it for granted. And we also know that uh, third world countries, the way that they emerge is based on energy. Without energy, uh, they don't become a first world country ever. It's maybe never we, happened. Maybe we save it for another time, but I would share with you there are energy impoverished areas that our, our newfound abundance of energy can be life-changing for mm. those communities as well, and we're starting to do some of that work as well. So we'll save that for another time, but really appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you today and talk about shale. Yep. Thank you, David. Thanks for coming on Brews and Views. Uh, we'll catch up next time. Thanks. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.